Hi, welcome to the brief for the purpose and power of love and marriage by Miles Monroe. And we're going to break it into three books, three different sets of briefs. The first one we're going to look at it relates to marriage in and of itself. So this first brief, we're going to call it Marriage, a Great Idea. And so the first thing that you need to know is that marriage is God's idea. And it meets the basic needs of the human spirit for many. Now, not all, because not all are called to marry. Right? Jesus called it, he said it's a gift. Basically that, um, you know, some have the gift and, and some don't. He said some, you know, choose to be eunuchs. Some are made eunuchs, etc. But anyway, marriage meets some of the basic needs of the human spirit. These include love, belonging, importance, security, and mutual respect. You know, our society has become a disposable, cast-off, and throwaway society. And we don't understand the value of permanence and lifetime commitments. But in Genesis chapter 2, it says, And the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for out of man she was taken. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. So the two become fused into a single entity. They're no longer separate, but whole and indivisible. Now, marriage is foundational. God built society on the base of the family. So that was the very first institution that he built. He built the family, and then from that comes the church, and then from the church comes the community, and then from the community comes a nation. Uh, you know, and then you get enough nations together, and you've got the world. So Satan attacks marriage for this very reason. If society rests on marriage, its destruction ensures the destruction of mankind. Now, marriage is an analogy for the relationship between Christ and the church. In Ephesians, the fifth chapter, we, Paul tells us that we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, speaking of a, a wife and a husband. He says, wife, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to sanctify her, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a glorious church without stain or wrinkle or any such blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Indeed, no one ever hated his own body, but he nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This mystery is profound, but I am speaking about Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Now, what's the purpose, says, of marriage? There are a few. First is companionship. You know, he said it is not good for the man to be alone. Companionship. Joint rulership of the territory given them. Um, that's a purpose that God built mankind for, and he meant for man and, and, and man and woman together to jointly rule it. Both spirit beings, spirits, of course, have no gender, but put into a body, you know, where they become gender. The production of children in Malachi, you know, God tells us that, you know, he set this, created the institution of marriage that they might have godly children. Uh, sex in marriage forms a blood covenant, which is a central obligation as well as a pleasure. Um, you know, but sex is only one percent of marriage. 
and it neither makes nor breaks it. Marriage goes beyond it. The Greek word for marriage is gamil, and we get the word gem from it. It means to fuse together. Problems in a marriage purify it just as pressure purifies and hardens a gem, a diamond. What happens when folks get married is there's a collision of histories. You marry their family in a sense, right? All the things that they've experienced through that, their history. We all bring baggage into marriage, emotional baggage, psychological baggage, baggage, and spiritual baggage as well. And we're all filtering communications through our experiences. As time passes, we begin to better understand each other and we become more alike in the way that we think, we feel, and we act. If you think about it, creating a diamond takes serious work and a lot of time, and so does marriage. Brief two, marriage is honorable. It's not who you love, but what you love in marriage, uh, Reverend Monroe would say. So in Hebrews, the 13th chapter and the fourth verse, you'll find marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterers. And we need to know why we love who we love, because people are always changing. We need to understand that marriage itself is a commitment to an institution bigger than the two people in it. And this, Reverend Monroe believes, is the key to a successful marriage. We should treat marriage at least the way that we treat a job, as an institution that overrides the personal bumps and bruises in relationships. Marriage is a vow and a commitment, and God takes vows seriously. Here's an example of what God said about vows. He said, when you make a vow to God, do not delay in fulfilling it because he takes no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. It is better not to vow than to make a vow and not fulfill it. Do not let your mouth cause your flesh to sin. And do not tell the messenger that your vow was a mistake. Why should God be angry with your words and destroy the work of your hands? For as many dreams bring futility, so do many words. Therefore, fear God. This is in Ecclesiastes, the fifth chapter. Entering marriage requires two believers, each with no unconfessed sin in their lives. Also, to make a marriage work, you need knowledge. In Hosea, the fourth chapter, it says, My people are destroyed from the lack of knowledge. Brief three. Why marry, anyway? First is this. One would want to be sure that it's God's will in terms of the choice of a mate. You need someone who can exalt Jesus Christ as Lord together with you. It should be harmony and vision and purpose. should be seeking his will for sure. The second thing to think about is this is about showing God's love to your other half. So each individual in the marriage is to give their all. It's to be unconditional in the same way that Christ died for the church. And the word tells us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us in Romans, the fifth chapter. In other words, when we had nothing going for us at all, when we were actively in opposition to him, Christ died for us. And that's the attitude that we should take into marriage. The third is expressing our personal love. There's, you know, phileo, what the Greeks called it, which was a friendship kind of love, and eros, which is a sexual component to love. It's to fulfill our sexual needs in a godly way. That's a fourth reason. Uh, Paul said to the church at Corinth, the husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. Fifth is the desire to begin a family. The sixth is companionship. The seventh is to share all things together. There's a saying that sorrow is halved and joy doubled, you know, when two share. The eighth is to work together to fulfill each other's needs. 
Um, you know, it's, each should be focused on the needs of the other, and that's the physical needs. You know, we all have needs for food, water, clothing, and shelter. We also have emotional needs like the need for security and peace of mind to be free from fear. Also for aesthetic enrichment, peace with God, and intimate fellowship with Him. Uh, a cord of three strands is not easily broken, Ecclesiastes tells us, and that is a husband, a wife, and the Holy Spirit binding them together. And the ninth reason would be to maximize the potential of each person in the relationship. A tenth would be to enhance spiritual growth. Brief four. Everyone should have a garden wedding. Marriage was intended to look very much like Genesis chapters 1 and 2, when they were Eve and Adam were living in the garden. They were both spirit-filled believers at that point, and this is what children of God have. For marriage to work, you need to be inside the garden, that is, based on God's principles. And God has a purpose for the male and the female. The word says, let us make man in our image and let them rule over the fish, the birds, the livestock, over all the earth and every living creature that moves on the ground. That would include the serpent, by the way. Male and female, he created them. Man and woman together are meant to rule. So we're meant to have dominion over a territory. We're meant to be equal in personhood and authority because we're both spiritual beings that were put in a body and spiritual beings aren't gendered. Headship is not rulership, it is leadership. Now, the man does have the responsibility to chart the course. The husband decides on the direction. The wife help decides how to get there. The husband gives leadership and direction, and they rule together. And they are to rule with love, grace, wisdom, and knowledge under the lordship of Christ. Brief five, a happy marriage is no accident. Planning and knowledge are needed to be successful in anything, and the same is certainly true of marriage. Many people put getting along with their boss ahead of getting along with their spouse, and that would not be God's priorities. We need the Holy Spirit who teaches us all things. John tells us, but the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Marriage must be a priority next only to God. It must express God's love and requires both parties to allow God to work. In Ephesians, Paul said, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. It requires 100% commitment by each party to the other. No holding back on any front in the natural or spiritually. And the foundation is agape love. In 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter, we're told what agape love is. It says love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily anchored. It keeps no record of wrongs. Agape love is a verb and a choice, as C.S. Lewis said in his book, Mere Christianity, which we do have a brief on. And so that means that it's an action that we take every day, irrespective of how our emotions might feel. We need to refresh it daily in prayer with God and by the way that we treat our spouse. We put the truth out there, Reverend Monroe would say truth is fundamental to marriage. Uh, trust is a fundamental foundation as well. Commitment is required, you know, in, in addition to planning for success, because it is a blood covenant that lasts a lifetime. So you commit to the institution of marriage and then to the person that we're marrying in the same way that you commit to a job first and then the individuals that you work with. Respect has to be mutual. And both should be striving to live in a way that the other can respect. Submission should be mutual. 
Um, Ephesians 5, as mentioned before, tells us to submit one to another. And if we're both putting the needs of a spouse ahead of, of our own needs, which requires tremendous spiritual maturity, by the way, you know, then everything is going to be good. It also does require knowledge and understand that you need time to get to know each other. And the more that you do up front, the better off you are. You should know before you ever marry the dreams of the other party, their desires, their expectations, and their spiritual foundations, what they believe on that front. Now, it also requires faithfulness, and that's reserving sexual expression for each other, defending your spouse and affirming her, her beauty, brains, and integrity at all times, especially with others. It also requires patience, and this is needed because the man and the female, they're different, and you're just different people. You come with different experiences. You come from different cultures in most cases, with different expectations. You do different things in your leisure time. You have to come to understand parenting, uh, money, sex, all of those things are things that should be uh, that will require patience. And another foundation stone is financial stability, and that you need a financial plan that's in place for the vows. That'll help tremendously um, as you prepare to marry as well. Brief six, marriage traits. Some of the things that you need to be successful in marriage include adaptability because there's going to be unexpected things that are going to happen. And so you're going to need flexibility. You're going to need empathy. You're going to need to be really focused on trying to understand what the other party in the marriage, what they're feeling. You're going to need to work through problems and be willing to problem solve because there are definitely going to be disagreements. You're going to have to be able to give and receive love, you know, both ways. You're going to need emotional stability, the ability to communicate. Similarities between the couple are very helpful. Common interests, common hobbies, common faith. Similar political views, even these things can be helpful. And a similar family background. Brief seven, loosing the ties that bind. Marital problems are greater than all other life relationship problems combined. Now, we've said before that the marriage must be first after our relationship with God in priority. So the husband wife is the top priority for human relationships. It's not kids, as a lot of people might think. The husband wife relationship was the first relationship, and it is the top priority. Then the children came after that in Genesis. Now, children do require love and care, and they do require their needs be met, you know, physically, emotionally, and spiritually, all those fronts. And we need to raise them, however, with the thought that, you know, they're going to become independent beings and be able to leave and stand on their own. So you're raising them to send them out into the world. Marriage creates basically a new third family from the prior two that the husband and wife came from. Now, leaving parents is key. The word says, you know, they leave their father and mother and cleave to one another in Genesis. Parents shouldn't be a burden to their children if they're able to provide for themselves. And up front, the couple should discuss Things like their philosophies of life, their guiding principles, their dreams, identify their goals, formulate a plan to reach their joint goals and dreams, plan financially what they're going to have to do from an investment standpoint, a saving standpoint, and a spending standpoint, as well as a giving standpoint, in order to get where they want. Parental or any other help to folks and parties outside the marriage now becomes an issue for joint consultation. You have to be the front person to cover for your spouse with parents, children, other relatives, you know, to take the, the flack for them. If, if someone else who you were more closely related to in the beginning, uh, you know, attempts to attack them. 
Brief eight, different, and that's a good thing. The male and the female are different, which creates a lot of the conflict we see when it comes to their body. As we said, they're both spirits, and that part is the same, but they're put into a body that creates the differences. Now, this is Reverend Monroe's thoughts on these matters. He says the male tends to see the world through a lens of logic. The female tends to see it more through, and this is typical, through a lens of emotion. It could be flipped depending on, you know, exactly the parties involved in the relationship. He's simply talking about what typically happens on average. In language, the man is expressing what he's thinking. The woman is expressing what she's feeling. And Reverend Monroe reminds us that hearing is not the same as understanding. Women take things personally. Men tend to take them impersonally. Women tend to remember emotionally impacting statements for years. Women remember the details, men the principles, the abstract, sort of the philosophy. In material things, it's um, the opposite. Men, they figure out how to get there, and women decide on the goals. In the spiritual area, men set the goals, and women figure out how to get there. A man's mind operates more like a filing cabinet. He puts stuff away until he can deal with it, sort of deals with stuff sequentially. A woman's mind's more like a computer. She needs the problem handled. She wants immediate responses. She can't rest until the problem is solved. A woman's home is an extension of her personality, while a man's job is an extension of his personality. So those are core and, uh, you know, attacks slash criticisms in those areas, you know, are things that really sting each party. Men tend to be nomadic. Women tend to want security and roots. Women tend to be guilt prone, while men tend to be resentful. And so it speaks of a cloud of guilt in women. Women assume fault and they feel guilty. While the man tends to duck responsibility, think it's not his fault, and get upset, try to avoid uh, responsibility. Men typically stable and level off, make a decision and stick with it. Women always changing, and they will change your mind many times. Um, involvement. Men typically take longer to get involved in things. They evaluate than go in, and women, women get involved faster and more easily, but both committed once they get in. It just may take the male longer to get there. Men forget and need to be reminded. Women never forget. In memory, he says men remember the gist rather than the details, while women remember the details but can forget the gist. So the two are different. Brief nine, friendship, the top relationship. Marriage is a lifelong journey into intimacy and friendship. Being best friends is a great foundation for marriage in Reverend Monroe's eyes. He's talking about in a friendship how you have no secrets um, that are hidden. You love and accept each other anyway, no matter what. David, for example, was a friend of God as a great example of friendship, which you can see in 1 Samuel, the 13th chapter. And you can see in John, a 15th chapter, that friendship is a high calling with a high level of intimacy and part of remaining in the vine. It requires connected friendship. So here's what we what we hear there. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you, Jesus said. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not understand what his master is doing. But I have called you friends because everything I have learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you to go and bear fruit. Fruit that will remain, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. This is my command to you, love one another. 
Friends, because a servant doesn't know about his master, but a friend does. We are friends with Jesus. We want to know as much as possible, good and bad, before we stand together at the altar. So friendship and love are closely linked. If you look at Proverbs, the 17th chapter and the 17th verse, you'll find Solomon saying, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother, in Proverbs, the 18th chapter. This is my lover. This is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem, in Song of Songs, the fifth chapter. Hi, thank you for listening to this brief. We have plenty more at ChristianBrief.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-I-A-N-B-R-I-E-F.com. May the Lord bless you and keep you, and hope you check out some of the other briefs at ChristianBrief.com.